Africa Calling, a bi-monthly podcast with sound-rich reports from our correspondents on the continent. African Voices reporting on African stories produced by Radio France International. Hello and welcome to our Season 2, Episode 18 of the Africa Calling Podcast on May 27, 2022. I'm Laura Angela Bagnetto. We have a number of stories from the African continent this week, including how donkeys are disappearing in Kenya, disrupting lives of people in the rural areas. Plus, we'll take a look at Anglophone Cameroon and how to deal with waste in wartime. And in Malawi, one top musician decided to pack it in and preserve his community's culture and live it. And finally, don't forget our special song at the end. Africa calling. In Kenya, the donkey population has dramatically decreased since the first donkey slaughterhouse opened in Kenya in 2016. This is due to the demand for donkey skin on the Chinese market. The skin is used to make cosmetics and beauty products known as ejao. However, the situation has also led to donkey theft in villages that traditionally rely on donkeys to help carry out daily tasks. Correspondent Victor Maturi has filed the following report from Naivasha, Kenya. At Kanju village on the outskirts of Naivasha town in Nakuru county, Bernard Irungo is attending to his two remaining donkeys. The presence of donkey abattoirs has increased the demand of donkeys in this area, leading to donkey theft. Irungo says between 2016 and 2021, he has lost six donkeys in unclear circumstances. One morning, two donkeys I used to work with went missing. A month later, I bought two more donkeys, and after a year, they also disappeared. I stayed for a while and bought another donkey. A year later, these totally disappeared. I didn't even find their remains. I was buying donkeys from my savings for work. We even slept outside to offer protection to our donkeys. I can say the cartels are the cause of our problems, because sometimes we look for our donkeys, and some were found at the abattoir compound. According to Irungu, most communities depend on donkeys to conduct their daily activities, but for the past four years, there has been high rate of donkey theft in Naivasha and its environs. Irungu, a water vendor, says he had to close down his business for a while until he bought the current donkeys last year. I've been in this business for 10 years now and I can say it's a good business. I pay house rent from it. It has helped me raise my children, paying school fees, buying food and even saving money. When the abattoir was opened, that's when we started experiencing cases of donkeys disappearing and even some of them being slaughtered in the bush. At Mirera village, a few kilometers from Irungu's place, Joseph Ndendu is a worried man. He has lost eight donkeys in three years. Dendu says he's not been able to start his transport business because he no longer has his donkeys. I have been a water trader using donkeys for the past 15 years. But for the past three years, I have been a victim of donkey theft. My donkeys were stolen and I can't buy others because now they are very expensive. I am planning to buy others because I have a passion for taking care of donkeys and I cannot live without them. 
In the past, when donkeys were stolen, if you went around various places, you could find them loitering around the streets and villages. But since the abattoirs started, even if you walk around, you will not find any donkeys alive. Personally, I have lost eight donkeys in total. I remember losing six of them in one day, and that brought me down completely. Locals say that since the donkey skin trade started four years ago, the donkey population has plummeted not only in and around Naivasha, but also regionally. Dendu says some of the donkeys were found alive at the abattoir yards, adding that business merchants are the main suspect of illegal donkey transport and theft. When my neighbor's donkeys were stolen, I followed up and found them at the slaughterhouse. That means that they were stolen and sold to the arbitoire. This arbitoire has made us distrust these people because we suspect them. But just because you suspect someone doesn't mean that you've caught him or her. That's the challenge. The Chinese who came earlier told us their aim was to take injured donkeys and the old ones, but later on that didn't happen. It's also not easy to find injured donkeys or old donkeys. So it's not like they told us. Now they started buying any donkeys, including the younger ones. These communities have expressed concern about their present and future survival, considering that the slaughterhouses have increased the demand for the commercial consumption of donkeys. According to Rafa Ringome, the supervisor at Kenya Society for Protection of Animals here at Naivasha sub-county, donkeys are quickly becoming target animals for large-scale harvesting, primarily for their skins. He says donkey skin-based products are in high demand in the Chinese market. The people that I've explained work in metropolitan towns and cities. They had uh, quite a good number of donkeys. Some were just loitering in town. You could easily meet a donkey, even in town and in the streets. But after the ongoing slaughter by the abattoirs, the number of donkeys went down. And also theft among the donkey users and owners in these towns escalated because maybe one user is linked to a broker or a donkey middleman and they can steal uh, the donkey of a friend and sell it to the abattoir. So the number of donkeys has really gone down. But the main product as we have heard is uh, this, the donkey skin which is used to make uh, cosmetics uh, that is beauty products. And there is also another Chinese uh, product called Ijao which is uh, believed to be an aphrodisiac. And also, we understand that donkey bones are rich in calcium content, and it's, uh, if it's uh, processed, it can be a source of calcium to other animals. According to the 2009 Kenya National Population and Housing Census, there are 1.8 million donkeys in Kenya. The Kenya Meat Act of the year 1999, which listed donkeys as among animals processed for meat, gave the abattoir owners a legal environment in which to operate. They exploited this situation with damning consequences on the donkey population and the livelihood of the dependent communities. The most recent census indicates that there are 1.1 million donkeys, revealing that 
within a span of four years, Kenya had lost an estimated 700,000 donkeys. According to Dr. Rafael Kinoti, a director at the Brook East Africa, an organization which deals with the donkey and zebra welfare, communities are grappling with increased incidents of donkey theft and high prices when trying to replace stolen donkeys. Donkeys in Kenya are reared to be used for work and mainly for work by rural communities, poor communities, also those communities in peri-urban areas. So when the abattoirs came and uh, they began taking in donkeys uh, for slaughter, within three months there was a strain in terms of the numbers of donkeys that they, they, they were receiving because then the source was already depleted. A community member would not want to sell their donkey to that abattoir because then it's the only animal they are using probably to fill a water from a, a, farther, a far water point. But then the demand was already there. The slaughterhouses were there, uh, and they were demanding for donkeys. And so, especially young men who have no job, really got a very good avenue of moving around and poaching for donkeys. And so then um, the slaughterhouses actually would buy a full donkey or they buy actually the donkey skin. So it all, all, all of a sudden began to look like a business that has been introduced, but then a business that is really, really fueling theft and illegal slaughter of these animals. Animal welfare officials say there are also indications that some donkeys slaughtered in Kenya were sourced from across the borders, notably Tanzania, Ethiopia, South Sudan, and Northern Uganda. The movement of these animals across the borders was also through an official means and followed an unofficial route. Kinoti says, in the year 2020, Kenya's Agriculture Cabinet Secretary closed down the operation of these abattoirs after the outcry from communities and animal welfare organizations. The traders actually spread their wings into out, outside countries, you know, uh, into the neighboring countries to now begin to say, you know, we are not slaughtering Kenyan donkeys, we are actually getting donkeys from outside the country. But sometimes, actually, even in the, on, the, on the Tanzania side, we would see donkeys stolen in Kajiando, they cross over into Tanzania, but then they are brought in as Tanzanian donkeys, you know, that are, that are being brought for slaughter here. Numbers of them coming from Ethiopia. Few numbers coming from Uganda. People come and steal donkeys in Kenya in Trukana, cross them over to Uganda, so that then they are brought in to Kenya again as Ugandan donkeys because then uh, communities in Kenya had refused really to sell. And so communities began having massive mass actions where they go to government offices in their numbers and communicate to the government officers. Actually, that is what led to the minister really saying, you know, this is causing a big crisis. We have to go slow on this. Let's close these abattoirs. Uh, and so that's the situation we are in. So the Chinese traders are also really pushing to reopen the slaughterhouses and continue with the, with the, with the, with the slaughter of donkeys. In Kenya, there were four operational donkey slaughterhouses from 2016 to 2020 in Mogoshio, Baringo County, Naivasha, Nakuru County, Nakualele, Turkana County, and in Ikidioko in Machakos County. These abattoirs had uninstalled the slaughter capacity of 1,260 donkeys per day. 
our effort to speak to abattoir operators were futile and now communities are worried that the abattoirs will be reopened and they are fearing that the move will wipe out the remaining population of donkeys. Reporting for RFI's Africa Calling, this is Victor Moturi in Naivasha, Kenya. Africa Calling, produced by Radio France International. In Cameroon, in the Anglophone northwest and southwest regions of the country, the battle for independence has left some 3,000 people dead and more than 1 million displaced. These figures reflect disturbing human casualties from the five-year conflict, but also hide a growing problem of waste collection and treatment hampered by war. In Bamenda, the northwest capital city, correspondent Sylvie Yukfu reports on the challenges of waste disposal and how a number of organizations are trying to tackle the problem through recycling. Bamenda is the fifth largest city in the country. The once vibrant town lacks its typical hustle and bustle. Most activities are at a standstill due to the crisis. Bamenda once prided itself as one of the cleanest cities in Cameroon. Now it is regarded as one of the dirtiest even by its own residents. This is Mary Javita Negeka. I live at uh, Bali Park Tantro. Being in an area where there's a lot of disorder, it's not very easy with the waste management. But what I do is I have a, a dustbin where each time I have waste product, I drop it inside. Then I can carry and dispose either in the water or in a waste container where they always uh, gather waste and then they'll carry it once in a while. But sometimes they'll abandon it. It will, it will start disturbing the whole environment, smelling and all that. Well, uh, around where I live, there are some few farms. So when I have organic waste, like uh, when I pee potatoes, when I pee my plantains or cocoyam, just dispose it inside. That will save us manure. There is a structure responsible for urban waste management, but locals complain they fail to give desired results. The city's municipal authority spoke to Africa calling on condition of anonymity said insecurity and threats on their personnel from suspected separatist fighters are largely responsible for their ineffective service delivery. They have announced plans of partnering with environmentalists to ensure proper waste recycling in Bamenda. Environmentalist Ebai Morris Tambe insists urgent action should be taken to redress the situation. The waste situation in Bamenda is not quite good. The council is really trying but they need to do more. We have a dump sites that are not legal within the city. And the time in which the waste stays there before evacuation is too long. So at times you, 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 you meet a, a, a mount of waste and you have stray dogs and old animals, they go there and they scatter. At times the waste comes right close to the root. There should be Spots where the council have created, where they, they collect plastics, where they collect organic waste, where they collect glass and, and bottles, so that when people sort this waste from their homes, they can just carry it there directly. It will help to improve sorting in the city. Waste has value. It depends on what you have attributed the waste to, because your waste can be your source of wealth. Waste materials such as the scrap metal being loaded here can provide a decent income. The way we gather it like this, then we will load it and go with it to Douala. So then they will melt it and bring it back here for us. That means when they are melting now, they will, they will move a rod, iron rod, 
But usually sit only here and then people will bring it because already they know that we usually buy it. Then some, some other people will come and call us, we'll go and buy it in the houses. One kilo one kilogram is uh, 80 francs. So if it is uh, 20 kilo, it will be 1,750. Mali is our business. So we are helping people also to clean the environment, keep, to keep the places neat. Agricultural engineer Nyo John recycles non-biodegradable plastics into petroleum products and building materials. I am into production of petroleum from the use of waste plastic. You can produce petrol, kerosene, diesel out of plastic waste. I have built a system. In the system, we, we, we try to recapture gas because during the process, there is production of methane gas and as well as uh, butane gas, the one that we normally use in our homes. You can still reuse in the system or you can sell it out to those that are in, in need. We hope that we can be able to handle the whole of Northwest. We collaborate with city council uh, mayor to be able to give us the access to be able to collect the waste. Fellow agricultural engineer Tewu Erasmus has a novel way of recycling waste too. Once we've gathered this uh, plastic waste, the one that we have the capacity to recycle, like to transform them into pavement uh, bricks, we do that. But where we do not have the capacity, we simply cut them and we perforate them and use them as a nursery pot where we nurse trees and then we plant again in our community. And sometimes humans need extra help, like here at a recycling plant in the Bamendi municipality. Wilson Munga explains how pigs, cows and others help convert household waste into biogas. Right here we have cows, we have pigs, we have uh, fowls that we, we rear here. We use their waste to produce biogas gas that we can use at home for cooking, we can use for heating. We have our biogas system that we have developed and uh, through that biogas system we generate gas and we equally generate uh, organic uh, fertilizer that we also sell to farmers. When we pass the, the waste generated by the animals through the biogas system, what comes out is perfect for crop production. With this method, we are fighting not only pollution, we are fighting climate change. Bamenda's challenges in carrying out good waste management are numerous, from COVID-19 to the anglophone crisis, both with innovations such as specialized recycling programs using both humans and animals, Bamenda could regain her past glory as one of the cleanest cities in Cameroon. Sylvie Yukfu for Arafai's Africa Calling. Bamenda Cameroon. Check us out on Twitter, Africa underscore underscore calling. We're at Africa underscore underscore calling. In Malawi, some 18 million people of different ethnic groups live throughout the country. Each group has its own distinctive culture and customs. Western influence through music and television has slowly been changing the way people eat, dress, and even talk. But one legendary musician left his career and traveled to his village not only to preserve the tradition, but also live it. Correspondent Charles Pensulo has more in this report. 
moyo moyo watahuni ngokalila kulimba That was Moyo One Town, a song which talks about hardships in urban areas compared to the village. This song was very popular at the turn of the 21st century. The artist behind it, Ben Michael Mankamba, was a household name, receiving massive airplays on radio and television stations. The award-winning singer traveled far and wide before he went into oblivion in 2010. soon after being installed as a traditional leader at his village outside the capital Lilongwe today Mankamba or village headman Chingalile as he is known at his home established a rural homestay where tourists go to experience village life through the exchange of knowledge and experience the homestay also preserves history by passing on folk tales to the young people including traditional dances Makamba explains his transformation. In the village there's uh, quite a lot which as I'm, I'm doing uh, like artistic works uh, plus I'm also into uh, to uh, touristic works uh, uh, environmental conservation uh, yeah and culture. So yeah this is keeping me busy in the community because mainly I'm doing this with the uh, f- with the community uh, plus uh, also the center I think uh, is becoming Uh, well known to the whole country plus also international because uh, now we are holding uh, different activities some international some just national yeah so it's a, uh, a village which I'm trying to establish uh, mainly to to turn it into a, a model cultural village where uh, tourists or people who just want to know about Malawian culture they can come and learn a few things maybe langu- language dressing manners our culture plus also uh, yeah working with the women they have there's a women's club uh, they 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 are involved in different activities like you know um, they have learned about making these mbaula uh, stoves which are good in these times to 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 not to use a lot of firewood mankamba's string of initiatives include a youth club which performs malawian tradition dances at the village they are also hired to perform across the country not only does this keep the young people busy and prevents them from indulging in harmful behavior but they also earn some money makamba believes that the country is losing its culture and the young are the future it's helping them because most of them the money they get they pay for their school fees and this is good for for their uh, parents they they encourage them because at first it was a struggle that you are just wasting your time this and that but now that the students can also bring in some money from the dances you find the, the parents are happy and encouraging them that okay this is good you are preserving your culture and the other thing i forgot to say is uh, we also have uh, elders from different villages who, who are still t- uh, storytellers so we have kids and we invite them to tell stories about uh, you know old uh, folk tales stories this and that Uh, it's one way of also uh, keeping our uh, history uh, passing on history to the kids uh, it's interesting because uh, the elders when they talk about uh, rabbits uh, i mean uh, yeah rabbits or hyenas most of the kids the, the children today they have never seen those, those animals so if we don't have those elders to tell stories then we we'll lose 
our culture to other uh, cultures. And, and we've lost those animals. And one of the reasons is because we've cut down our trees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, those animals are meant to, to live in the in the forest, uh, and we are finishing all the forest. As the boys and girls twist and turn from the captivating sound of the drums, they sing different songs full of life lessons. Dancers Victor Fountain and Elita Yosefi, who led the performances, told me what the performances meant to them. Here is Fountain. I'm 27 years old and I'm involved in the dance troupe where we perform traditional songs. We're a Chingalire dancing troupe which performs various dances here in Malawi. These dances help me to be fit but also entertain people. Most of my peers are into reggae and other modern dances, but we're keeping the traditions. My coming here is beneficial because I also get the money, which I use to help my relatives. Fellow dancer Yosefe agrees. I am 16 years old and I come here to perform the traditional dances. When I come here I get some money, which helps at school. But I also learned a lot about my culture through the lessons that we get here. I've travelled for about an hour to this cultural village from Lilongwe city and the contrast between these two places could not be more pronounced. Here, there is a sense of serenity. I'm surrounded by trees and very interesting structures. Makamba tells me what I'm looking at. Where I'm going to show you is uh, like uh, some uh, rooms for the guests uh, who want to spend the, their time here in the rooms. But as for these, uh, these are tents, traditional tents made from bamboos. Uh, we just cover them with some uh, tents, yeah. Especially when we have students, they like uh, sleeping in the tents outside. Uh, it's also this is also a camping site. Some uh, tourists who are like driving, uh, you know, those uh, vans with tents. They camp and put up their tents here. Yeah. And over there, there is a park. That's down there, that's where there is a park, plus the uh, Leo, we call it Leo Amphitheater. It's a friend of mine who, who gave me some money to build, uh, I think, in, in honor of uh, her grandson. So we built an amphitheater. It can take about 100 people. That's where uh, other artists, they come and do their performances down there, solo artists. And those are our shower rooms. Mm. And those are bathrooms and this is like a private area because where we're going now is a more public place where there's a stage there's a bar a shop a, a bright place a kitchen okay. yeah so as you can see we we are always keeping the trees preserving the trees uh, so whenever there's a performance nobody's complaining of the, the sun or something because there's always a shed. So the performances take place 
under the shade of the trees. The establishment has 10 permanent workers and employs dozens more on short term when there is a performance. Mankamba said the people in the village are reaping the benefits of the center from learning to plant trees in their households to keeping the traditions. In 2010, when I was installed as chief, uh, I had to just accept it. And age-wise, I think I was also mature enough to, to come to the village and uh, uh, take the position. It was tough at first because... Uh, then uh, I had some uh, some dreadlocks. Now when I came to the village, you know, the elders, uh, they thought this is not really uh, good for the community. And I was forced to, to chop them off, to cut them. It was really bad because it was like I lost my identity. Even moving around in the streets, nobody could recognize me. Uh, and people, they thought I had uh, stopped performing or doing music, so I also lost in in getting hires uh, because everybody thought I had, I had uh, quit music. Yet I was still performing. Uh, it's just maybe my looks changed. It was tough at the beginning, but when I started doing uh, what I'm doing now in the village, working with the youth and uh, doing this cultural, uh, yeah, uh, slowly I started uh, falling in love with what I'm doing and the passion for it also helped uh, to the point that now I'm proud and I don't regret that I, I left the town and moved to the village. Life in the village is uh, uh, quite simple um, and easy. It's unlike uh, in town. Dr. Mailusaka, a lecturer in history and heritage studies at the Zuzu University, says the initiative should be commended. This, since the youth are exposed to the tradition values at a time when this is scarce, especially in the urban settings. Dr. Lusaka notes that the dances performed at the Kachula village are not only unique to the Malawian ethnic groups, but also the neighboring countries from which these groups originated from. For instance, Ngoma or Ngoma is performed by the Nguni groups of people, who are like the Ngoni, who are Sedodini. In Zimba, the Jerengonis who are, and also the Ngo, the, Jer, the Ngonis who are settled in the in Zambia and other uh, subgroups uh, which who are found in the Vendewere who are found in in Zimbabwe, in the, also the South Angan in Mozambique and the Zuru in South Africa. But while there is this general context of this single dance, there is also a particularity according to environment and place uh, in each and every culture. They have got a, a context, they have got a medium in which they express their identity, in which they uh, express or communicate their cultural values. Okay, For example, the cultural values that have to do with initiation, cultural values that have to do with uh, maybe inculcating the right conduct of uh, behavior amongst the youth, amongst the young, who are maybe... Uh, graduating from the youthful age into adulthood. So these traditional dances are the, are the medium through which these cultural values are transmitted. So apart from being the vehicle of transmission of cultural values, these traditional dances are also uh, a signifier of identity, of community identity and belonging. Although Mankamba's songs don't receive the massive air praise compared to the previous decade, the older generation still holds them dairy. 
the artist has been performing in corporate functions and the proceeds channeled to his foundation. He was born an artist and he'll always be one, he told me. For RIFI's Africa Calling, this is Charles Penslow in Chingalile Village and Lilongwe. Africa Calling. We're almost at the end of our program, but we have music maven Alison Hurd in the studio. Hi, Alison. What song do you have for us? Hi, Laurangela. So this tune actually came onto my radar via my teenage kids. <laughs> it's by Rima. He's a young Nigerian rapper from Benin City in the Edo province in the south. He's just turned 22 years old, but he's already making waves back home and here in France. He's joined the heavyweights on Nigeria's Afrobeat scene although he prefers to call his own particular groove Afro-Rave. Mm. <laughs> uh, he released his debut album Rave and Roses in March this year. And I've chosen the very mellow song Calm Down. Uh, it's a pretty straightforward love song. I can't say the lyrics are particularly deep, but it is super catchy. There's no auto-tunes and Rima has, well, a great voice. He started out like so many on the African continent, singing in church as a kid. Uh, we know church is often the best school. <laughs> so here you are. This is Calm Down by Rima. I hope you like it. And on that note, thanks for listening to Season 2, Episode 19 of Africa Calling. We'll leave you with Rima. I'm Laura Angela Bagnetto. This episode was edited and recorded by Erwan Rome and Nori Plisson. Goodbye for now.
down, calm down. Girl, this your body, it puts in my heart for lockdown, for lockdown, oh lockdown. Girl, you sweet life, Fanta, Fanta. If I tell you, say I love you, you know they for me, young girl, oh young girl. No, tell me, no, 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 no. 